eventually I was just like, wake up. If that's what you want to be, if that's what you want to do, then do it. What is stopping you? And so I went and I did it. I will not lie. It was painful and uncomfortable. But I think the best thing for me was doing things that I've always wanted to do in spite of the fact that it was awkward and maybe a little weird at first. How would we define ourselves if we just thought anything was possible? My fearless friends, and welcome back to Gumption, the podcast. This is Lily, your host, and honestly, I just want to give you guys all a huge thank you for listening and supporting the first episode and the trailer. I just feel so loved and excited for where we're going to be going next, so thank you so much for your support. This episode has three amazing guests that I met during my time at Villanova, And these three people have so much to share with you all, so much knowledge, humor, and just, oh my gosh, this was such a fun episode to record. We all were in different time zones, meeting online, virtually, and we had a blast. So without further ado, here is Caitlin Crew, Jack McCormack, and Nate Brown. Give it up for them. I'll start. (laughs) Okay, Nate. Nate. Start us off. Hello to the audience of Gumption. <laughs> My name is Nate. I'm an XL wizard first, a home cook second, and a hopeless romantic third. I live, breathe, eat, and drink pretty much all things California. I don't know. Is there anything else I should add? No, that was great. Are you kidding? Okay. That was so creative. Nate, was that your Bumble profile? No, <laughs> actually. Are you suggesting like, that it should be? Like, sure. I, you know what? Yeah, it was good. I like that you threw in the hopeless romantic thing. (laughs) It's the new age. I like long walks on the beach. (laughs) Right. Caitlin, why don't you go next? I'm putting you on the spot. I don't have nearly as extravagant of an intro as Nate does, but I'm Caitlin. Hello to everyone on Gumption. I guess you'll just learn more about me as the episode goes on. As someone who has been your friend for the last four years, I have to say you're very adventurous, but in the best way. When we lived together... I just remember the one constant of that year was waking up early on a Saturday morning to start my day. And Caitlin was already back from the farmer's market with her flowers and her food. I feel like you're one of those people that just makes up your mind on something and does it. And if that isn't gumption, I don't know what is. Thank you, Lily. I really love that you think of me in that way. But yeah, no, that's so true. I do remember Saturday mornings, it'd be 10, 11 a.m. You'd be rolling out of bed and I'd be making a blanket on the living room floor. And she'd be like, where did this yep. come from? Just a giant <laughs> yarn, knitting with the yarn, like, you know. Yeah. Hardy, hello to the gumption fans out there. I'm Jack, John, a million other names can also be used to, to contact me. Anything works with a J. And yeah, these lovely folks decided to let me on. Happy to be here. You guys are like naturals. I feel like you're speaking in a very podcasty way. This has been hard for me. When I recorded the last episode, I kept saying the most awkward things. So you guys are doing, you're doing great. I'm so impressed by your guys' preparation for this very haphazard podcast. I have a question for you, actually. 
Yes. Do you have a name for your fan base? Is that something that you come up with or is that just going to organically develop (laughs) from your listeners? (laughs) My mom, I have to tell my mom that you said this because the first thing she said to me as an avid podcast listener was, you need to come up with a name for your fan base. And I was like, I have no fans, mom. (laughs) I have three people that probably listen to this, but she's like, you got to think of something that goes with gumption. And she suggested gumpies, but I said that is absolutely not. (laughs) Nah, that sounds like an amputated body part or something. But So to answer your question, no. But if you think of something, let me know because I feel like I need a cute thing to address people with. What about the... The Gumpy Gang. <laughs> the Gumpy Gang. Gumpy Gang. <laughs> I'll give you points for alliteration, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I am sure we all know how dramatic I am by now, so I just really felt like I needed a good sound effect to start off that section. But Caitlin, I really just want you to start us off by talking about your experience of moving away from home all the way across the country and just what was that like for you? What was it like moving to a new place? We want to hear about it. Yeah, totally. The process of moving into a new place. I mean, first of all, imagine a Ford Explorer 2003, you know, she's old, she's big, but I have to fit everything that I own into that. Everything that's coming with me is getting in that car along with me and my brother, who is 6'4". So, you know, we got to pack that thing up to the gills. So I kind of arrived with essentially nothing. To live in an apartment, essentially nothing. I had my clothes. I had some dishes and kitchenware stuff. Definitely not enough to survive. Some bathroom stuff. I had had a little desk thing and a a rug. And that was about it. Thank God so you like, a rug, honestly. I don't know what I would have done without that rug. Here, look at it. Check it out. It fits perfectly with my couch. Just check that rug out over Dude, there. That couch is so nice, and I will be sleeping on it when I come to visit you. Oh, absolutely, you should. That's why I bought one that pulls out, because, you know, it's welcoming to people. But, so, I arrived with, like, things that seemed essential to me in the moment, but, like, I got here, and I didn't have a bed. <laughs> I had no bed. So I had to get a bed. I had to get a couch. I had to get bar stools. I went to Bed Bath & Beyond. And I told you guys, I spent a lot of money in the first week trying to get things to fill in the little holes and things that you don't even realize. The third day I woke up and I was like, I can't wait to have some coffee. I have my French press, my bean grinder, because I'm a bit of a coffee snob and I love a nice, you know, fresh coffee in the morning. But I didn't have a tea kettle. I was like, oh, I guess I'll just microwave my water. There's nothing wrong with microwaving the water. But I was like, oh, I like forgot that tea kettles exist and I would want one to make my coffee in the morning. And then that night I had done very minimal grocery shopping, just enough so that I would have snacks while my parents were around. But we didn't go out to dinner that night. And I had obviously bought dinosaur chicken nuggets because you're never too old for that. So I bought dino chicken nuggets. And I put them in the oven and they're cooking away. And my 13 minutes is up. I'm going to get my chicken nuggets out of the oven. And I don't have an oven mitt. (laughs) I'm like, oh no. So I just used a rag and hoped it didn't catch on fire. (laughs) But you kind of don't realize all these little things that you're missing until like you're living your life and you're like, oh my gosh, I 
don't have an oven pit. <laughs> but you know what I did have that was absolutely essential to my whole move-in process was what? these four little fruit paintings that Lily ah! sold to me. <laughs> And it was the only decoration in my apartment for the longest time was those four little fruit paintings because they did fit into the Ford Explorer. So they look that so was, cute you know. there. They look so cute there. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll take that away. You know, always have an oven mitt on hand. You never know when you're going to need one, especially if you're embarking on a new life adventure. Speaking of life adventures, I think we all can agree that adulting is a lot harder than expected. And sometimes... I know for me, all I want is a margarita. So I have brought Nate on as an expert mixologist to share with you guys all the dirty secrets of making drinks that you love. This is Mixology with Nate. Something that I discovered in my formative days of getting into being a home bartender was you got to sample a lot, right? Before you commit yourself to making one drink at home and investing in the right kind of base spirits, supporting liqueurs, bitters, etc., etc., go out to a bar and try, force yourself out of your comfort zone, make yourself try something that you wouldn't otherwise be leaning to. Maybe you discover something that you really don't like. But I guess to keep things general too, number one, drink what you enjoy at the end of the day. No one else really cares that much. And if that's what you enjoy, then that's what you enjoy. That number is so two true. I love is that. make sure you have somewhat the right equipment and notably plenty of ice. You go through it a lot more than you think you're going to. And it's just important that you have all the right equipment. You don't need four different kinds of strainers. You need one strainer. You don't need three different shaking tins. You need one. But without those things, things get a little bit difficult when you go past the idea of making a gin and tonic. And finally, this is a little bit more advanced, I guess you could say, but live by the adage of stir spirits and shake citrus. If I'm making a margarita with fresh lime juice, I'm going to want to shake that pretty hard to put extra air and take off some of the sour edge that that lime juice is giving. If I'm making something like a Negroni or a Manhattan that only involves pure spirits at home, then I'm going to stir those because otherwise I'm going to be bruising some of the botanicals and gin, or I would just be making a Manhattan that looks too cloudy and doesn't have the right aesthetic to it. So just know what you're making at the end of the day. Be in control, have confidence, trust yourself that you got a good recipe, even if you didn't measure it right. And at the end of the day, just have fun and drink what you enjoy. That was perfect. You heard it here first, people. Don't don't bruise those botanicals. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds amazing. So I promise to all my future botanicals, I won't bruise you. I'm going to try that. Next time I make a margarita, I'm going to give it a little, little shaky shake. Thank you, Nate. You know, that makes me wonder when National Margarita Day is. So I think you guys know what time it is. It is time for that segment where I question the things that we are celebrating. <laughs> On this week's episode, we talk all things Find Your Inner Nerd Day, and our guests share some nerdy passions that they have, which may leave you wondering, why do we need a day for that? Finally my day. <laughs> Finally a day that honors me. <laughs> I personally resonate with this day, as you know, I am just about the world's biggest nerd in many categories. But the term nerd needs to be reclaimed in general because I think of being a nerd as a good thing. It means you're excited about something, you like something, you are passionate about it. And people too often associate it with glasses that are taped together in the middle wearing a bow tie and suspenders, you know? Also, side note, do you guys remember that trend in 20? 12, 2013, when people would wear the big glasses and the mustache and the suspenders. Okay. 
yeah. just making sure that that was not no. just my couldn't avoid it at middle school i remember that I, epidemic nobody ever did that <laughs> in, in my middle school what? I, I never once saw somebody do that you, so you went straight like, to high school mustaches and infinity signs and like... middle school. <laughs> nobody could grow a mustache no not <laughs> like fake ones <laughs> How the girls are walking no. around with real mustaches. Okay, yeah, none of the girls did that at my school. I have to say, that was <laughs> one trend that tween Lily was obsessed with. I literally had all the mustache-related what, Mario? Merch. No, mustaches. With suspenders? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, now that you say that. <laughs> the suspenders were a separate thing, but, well, okay, I see where you're getting with that. Maybe Mario was the inspiration all along, and I just never realized it, but. I had those little stick-on fake mustaches and people mm-hmm. would wear them to social events. I brought it to our middle school dance and put it on. Back to Jack's nerding out. My natural state. So I, I'm a nerd about a great many things, but the biggest of them, shocker, surprise, is biology. I got a friend who sent me a meme. It's one of those memes that asks you a question where if sharks could use a harmonica, how would they do it? Would it be in front of their mouth or over their gills? And she was absolutely not ready for how prepared I was to answer this. <laughs> I fully started thinking about it. Pretend that water passing through a harmonica would have the same effect as air. And I was like, like hmm, well, if they're using ram ventilation and it's just in front of their mouth and they're swimming through the water, you're gonna get one constant note forever unless they speed up or slow down then you could get Mm. some different changes Mm. but if they're sharks that can just chill on the bottom and use buccal pumping in order to pass water over their gills then they could actually time it and just pump out a sick tune so i think i think the buccal pumping sharks would be the maestros of the sea wow and and yeah and she was not prepared for that (laughs) i'm curious what was that one thing you said it was a funny word and i don't know what it means it started with a b maybe bugle pumping yeah what is that can you explain it for our listeners who don't know as much about marine biology as you do (laughs) Mm -hmm. so most sharks out there use what is called ram ventilation it's why you hear that a shark can't stop swimming they always swim because Their mouth stays a little bit open, water passes in and out through the gills, and the gas exchange happens there. But there are some sharks, nurse sharks for example, where they'll go down on the bottom and they'll just chill there. And sometimes what they'll do is they'll point themselves in the direction of the current so that they get water passing over. But if that isn't possible, what they can do is uh, open their mouth and create a vacuum space that sucks in water. And then when they close their mouth, they can then force that water backwards over the gills. And that is called buccal pumping and it keeps the oxygen exchange going. Wow. So I think that situating a harmonica against the gills and doing that would be the perfect way to, to use that underwater. I will begin my nerding out session right now. Lately, I've been super into 1960s, 1970s counterculture, and it all started with the DTFH and this 
docuseries on Netflix called How to Change Your Mind. So I got super into the discovery of LSD and acid and into the experiments that were going on and how it got into pop culture and how it got into the music world and artists and literature. And that's where the whole our English class comes in because our entire English class was about beatnik literature in that period of history. So I learned more about the acid test, which were like these big parties with acid where all these artists and musicians would go. And there's this book called The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test by Tom Wolfe, which details one of these parties. Yeah. And I got super into The Grateful Dead and The Beatles and Bob Dylan. And I have this whole playlist that I made that's all music from that era. And I listened to it on my drive from Massachusetts to Colorado. And I was vibing the whole way, totally like, I am Jack Kerouac. This is on the road and I am that. Which totally, it was not that at all, but I felt like it. And so that's my my nerd out moment. I've been like super into that and watching and reading and listening. And... That is super cool. As a fellow lover of Duncan Trussell Family Hour podcast, oh, it's so interesting. Tell me more about this class because I want to hear about it now that we're washed up no longer in college. <laughs> Yeah, sure. So this class, like I said, in the moment, I totally was not about it. I've never been one to be into English in school. It just wasn't for me. And I will add that our professor at the time was not the most conducive to enjoying the learning. She was kind of strict and she really, I mean, she knew her stuff. She, I'm pretty sure she was at Woodstock. She knew her stuff about this time period. And so it was kind of intimidating. She knew everything about everything. She was a deadhead. She obviously was really into literature. She had definitely read all of these books many, many times mm-hmm. and she was well-versed in all of it. And at the time, I just, I could not have been less interested, which I do kind of, regret and I'll let Nate speak in a second about it because I'm sure he has thoughts on it too but we found out the following fall that she had passed away and she had had cancer the entire time that she was teaching the class and I think that's part of the reason that she wasn't as warm or welcoming to the class as I had hoped but I reflect back on that wishing that I had been more in tune with the class and more in tune with what was going on with her because she literally was doing something she loved and teaching until her very last days this was the spring semester of our freshman year and by the fall of our sophomore year, she had passed. And so it was just, I mean, you want to talk about gumption. She was doing what she loved until her very last days of life. Wow, I yeah. admire that a lot. And I think if looking back, if I had known that, that was the situation, I, think I probably would have appreciated the class a little more. And now with the love I have for this time period and information, it's kind of like, wow, I really let that, that moment slip through my fingers. I didn't appreciate it as much as I should have, but you know, you live and you learn. Oh, rest in peace. But that does sound like a really interesting. Yeah. And the one time that Nate had to give a presentation and she roasted his outfit. When I tell you she (laughs) roasted his outfit, she had a great sense of style. And Nate walked in and she was like, oh, so that's what you're wearing. Oh, my God. Damn. What was he wearing? I wore a hoodie, a white T-shirt, a pair of jeans, and my beige forces. and. Probably my Giants hat, because what else would I wear, you know, on a day where it's not too cold for a snow coat, but not warm enough where I could just wear a regular tee. Yeah, exactly. Right. So nonetheless, realizing that I was, you know, caught in the belly of the whale, I decided to have a hero moment and emerge new for the final presentation, (laughs) which I made alongside Caitlin. And I strutted into the class to make our final presentation in my best white dress shirt 
a bow tie, slacks, and my best dress shoes to kind of really at least morally redeem myself, if not <laughs> do something to change, you know, an outcome in a grade book, but at least to, to level up and to tell myself that I could have it. But I, I think that sort of goes hand in hand with what one of my bigger takeaways from the course, which was, again, similar to, to Caitlin's sentiments, but coming from a different standpoint is, yeah, I would also agree that I had a lot of office hours that I left on the table in that class because while I hated it in the midst of it, she paid a lot more attention to reading my papers and being critical of who I was as a writer than a lot of other previous teachers that I had until that point. And meeting that kind of resistance and academic adversity was something new to me at the time, which meant it was also frustrating. It really did help shape me to just become a lot more self-disciplined in my work and to get things done right the first time, not the third or fourth time. I do owe a lot of credit to her and the way that she ran her class, because I think without it, you know, my, there, there still would have been a lot more holes in my game. And not to say I'm, not, I'm a perfect writer, because I'm not a perfect writer, but uh, I'm a hell of a lot better writer out of that class than I was heading into it. And her dog is so cute. Yes. And Stella, how could I forget Stella? I love her so much. The cutest little French water dog ever. Curly, fluffy hair. She's so sweet, so gentle. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. a great, all around a great experience. I could <laughs> not have asked for like, okay, yeah. Jack's giving me attitude yeah. right now because yeah. I used to take okay. Stella No, 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 no. Can I explain? <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, go ahead. Can I explain Jack. how I was deceived? Um, <laughs> so, you know, freshman year, you know, I, Caitlin described the class, you know, perfectly. It was great. But that dog, okay. Caitlin, you know, calls me one day was like, Hey, I'm going to take Stella for a walk. Do you want to come with? I'm like, Oh my God. Yeah. I'll go hang out with my friend and walk a, a cool dog. No, 10 minutes in, uh, Jack, you want to pick up the dog's poop for me? <laughs> Five minutes later, you want to do it again? Um, and and the thing was, the dog wasn't normal either. Like a normal dog on a walk just goes in the grass. Stella managed to climb up on top of, a, for you know context, she's a small dog, climbs up on the foot tall water pipe, sticking up out of the ground and perches perfectly. So that the poop, the poop, the poop sits right on top of it. (laughs) So, no, I, I do not. No, she just, she just didn't (laughs) want you to have to, she didn't want you to have to bend over all the way to the ground to pick it up. So she pooped on top of the whole thing for you. No, I was tricked. (laughs) Great class, great people. That dog. Caitlin, I'm so not surprised that you asked Jack to come and just for the sole purpose of, I mean, I'm sure you wanted to see him, but let's be real. We know you asked him so he could pick up the poop mm-hmm. because was, was the toenails thing also, Jack? Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that was. There, there are oh, two memories Jack. from oh, freshman God. year, Caitlin and I, that I will never forget. Man, Jack, I really can't believe you're my friend anymore. I really, have I ever told you how much I appreciate you as a friend in my life? I really do. I really do appreciate you. Okay, go ahead and tell the story. I don't remember if these two things happened on the same day, but basically we were hanging out in my room freshman year and I, I was up in like the lofted bed 
because we lived in a triple. So we're hanging out up there, just chilling. And she pulls a pair of clippers out of her pocket and starts cutting her toenails in my bed. <laughs> like, I froze. I was, I didn't know what to say. I, and then I was like, what are you, what are you doing? She looked at me, she knew what she was doing was wrong, and she still cut the next toe before I told her to get out. There's no going back from there. I was really giving myself a full pedicure and Jack flopped about I brought my clippers, the file. I brought my color, I got my clear polish, and he just was not okay with it, not even a little bit, which is, you know, I definitely had some boundary issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and then on top of that, there was another time we're hanging out, or it might have been the same time, honestly, where she's in this weird position, laying on her side with her foot cocked up in the air, staring me down. <laughs> I, I looked at her and I, I looked her dead in the eye and said, don't kick me. And she, the look of surprise on this girl's face, how did you know? It's like, what else are you gonna do? <laughs> like that, like. How did you know I was thinking about kicking you? <laughs> I swear men have a extra sensory perception when it comes to like about to be kicked or poked or something because sometimes- it's cause it happens too often. <laughs> well, that's fair. Sometimes Murphy and I will be just hanging out, just watching a show or whatever. And I just get the strongest urge to poke him. Like he's like an animal in a petting zoo or something. I'm like, hey, I thought I was remembering the toenails thing. So I'm glad I brought it up because that's hilarious. <laughs> so glad you brought that up, Lily. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. You guys, it is the moment we have all been waiting for. These are the gumption stories. So get ready. These are some good ones. For me, when I've heard gumption and when I use the word, I associate it with kind of this sudden confidence boost that you get that yeah. en enables you to overcome something, especially something that's really scary. Gumption isn't something that you walk around with every day. It kind of creeps okay. up on you and surprises you. So for me, a moment of gumption, I think, was actually choosing Villanova as the university I was going to go to. Choosing Villanova was a gumption moment for me because I I ended up, you know, between either Villanova or Colgate. And in high school, I was one of those students that was hyper-focused on my grades, didn't really have a life outside of school besides in my hockey team. Um, so going into college, I was still sort of in that mindset and that was pushing me towards Colgate because it's the baby Ivy. You know, yeah. I, th I thought if I was going to succeed, I needed to go there. But in my heart, I knew that Villanova was the better choice for me. But it was still kind of this paralyzing decision that I couldn't make easily because I was so hyper-focused on what the next step was. How is university going to propel me forwards? Mm -hmm. And in the end, I finally kind of relented and just thought, no, Villanova is going to be the better choice for me because I'm not going to be in a situation where I want to only focus on my grades. I need to make friends, learn about living on my own, learn about mm -hmm. life and all these other things outside the classroom. And it, looking back on it, it seems a small thing, but at the time it was, it was a huge deal for me. And I'm really happy that I ended up making that choice. 
So Nate, what is a time in your life or a moment that you feel you really exhibited gumption in whatever sense that word means to you? Tell us your story. Thursday night football has some magic to it. Now, unfortunately for myself as a college senior, it was magic that I couldn't have experience at home, which prompted me to go find a place outside on my own to go enjoy such a thing. It was a process, not only because I started my senior year of college on the shallow side of 21 years of age, but because the people closest to me at the time didn't have the same chutzpah to go out and find another place offside to go watch Thursday night football. Needless, it was a time for me to pull myself up by my bootstraps and go exploring in a new town of Ardmore, Pennsylvania, that for the most part, I was pretty unfamiliar with. So the only way I figured I could approach this was essentially by playing Goldilocks in my locale for a few weeks around local sports bars and ultimately picking one that would be the most fun for me to go and hang out at. I was looking at it from a couple different angles. Number one, affordability. Number two, the right crowd, because whether I was going to be coming with people or not, as I sort of realized during the earlier parts of the fall, being around the right people makes a difference. What is the right crowd, according to you? According to Nate, what's your preferred crowd at a sports bar? Something that's balanced and people that are obviously... I don't necessarily want people that are nagging me all night, but I don't want people that are just throwing cold shoulders either. Again, it's just just a healthy mix of people, not too crowded where I feel I need to get all my orders in earlier in the night, but not completely dead either, where I feel there's just no heartbeat to the place. And obviously being a sports fan is a huge plus, right? That being said, I experimented with a couple different places downtown. And while there are some that did have some certainly redeeming qualities of them. I found the most comprehensive, most fun place to be at was none other than Jack McShay's in Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Not only did it end up being this place where I had accumulated the satisfaction that I wanted to go and enjoy Thursday night football, but at the same time, it became this cool wellspring of sorts for hanging out with the three of you, in addition to all kinds of other random people for a lot of different occasions, because They would become a place of celebration. It would become a place of finding some more redemption after a team of mine's big loss. It would become a place for just catching up with people that I haven't spoken to in a long time. It'd be a weekly spot for me to go, you know, with some of my closer friends. So the fact that it was a place that I could just rely on so frequently is really what made it stand out. And that I knew that it was this social rock of pretty much every Thursday, Friday and Saturday. Not to say that I made it there every single week because I didn't, but I always knew that it was there as a back pocket and just gave me a lot of comfort and that I was able to take on this idea of living off campus. And it was a way for me to enjoy the locale, know the town that I was in and really tell myself that I had made a new place to call home for a year. You start to figure out the places around it. And you get this great ripple effect that really makes you feel a local on the spot. And to have that comfort and to know that I don't have the regret of not knowing Ardmore better at the end of the day, that gives me the right, uh, the right feelings. I love that, Nate. And as a fellow former Ardmore resident, I have only good things to say about that town. Just so many cute little restaurants and establishments, historic feel to it, but also up and coming at the same time and not quite Nova suburbs, but not quite Philly. It was just a nice place. But I love what you said about just finding somewhere that helps you feel independent and gives you a little bit of a confidence boost in that, oh, I can expand my horizons. I can call this place part of my repertoire and 
then you can recommend it to other people. And it just, you said, it creates that ripple effect. Then people start coming there that maybe wouldn't have ventured out of their comfort zone. I think that's, that's such a good example of gumption. And now a break for more shenanigans. My mom accidentally sent a Snapchat to Jack one time of my Not cat. Not once. Was it oh, accidental? I don't think oh, so. Oh, oh, oh. It's, like, it's like three times. One time, like one time was an accident. My mom always, every morning when I was at college, she would check in with me by sending me a picture or a video of the cat and her doing the morning routine, getting coffee, and they sit on the deck together in the morning. And so she'd send me pictures or videos of this. And one time, she has literally three people on Snapchat. Me, my brother, and Jack McCormack, for some reason. That is so funny. <laughs> So instead of Snapchatting me their morning routine, she sent the picture of the cat to to Jack. And it's ever running joke now that my mom Snapchats Jack because of that one accident. Now she like will actually occasionally send him pictures of the cat when her and I are together because she's like, oh, Jack probably wants to know how the cat's doing. And I'm like, I don't think he does. I don't think he wants to know. No, it makes me so happy. I get to see Spank. And every <laughs> and time I like- see Spank, he's bigger. Oh, he is large, a rotund like cat. Round, yeah. <laughs> Literally round. There are pictures of him and it's a little blob with a head on top of it. How much does Spank weigh? Because Romeo, the little the little dog we have here, the miniature dachshund, is technically fat and it's only 11 pounds. Oh. Spank weighs 24 pounds. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. That's like five Montes. Yeah, he's a large guy. It's an official unit. Five Monty's. You know, he's just heavier than I expected him to be. So every time I go to pick him up, I'm like, damn, you kind of chunking up, mister. But I also do give him a million snacks per day. So that's, I'll just go downstairs. Monty, you want a grape? Do you want a grape? I don't. For the 10th time today, no. (laughs) Okay, some context for this next section. Jack recently returned from South Africa on a marine biology expedition with people from all over the world. So here's him recounting a little bit of his experience. It, it was absolutely amazing in in most regards. So happy I did it. Those now late night texts from your dive master still hit different. <laughs> you know what? We haven't talked as much recently, but mm. he did send me a funny video a couple days ago. Uh, first like of all, like, I'm oh he's so funny because all of his stories end with but did I die um <laughs> literally and yeah. he he sends me a video the other day after I asked him what happened because I'm still in the big group chat they have down there mm. and he messages everyone in the chat which has his bosses as well I lost to a potato bass today now for oh, reference, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah a potato bass is a big fish you know big like the big ones are the size of me besides sharks they're the apex on the reef Mm. and he sends me this audio message explaining how he lost to a potato bass and it was so freaking funny because usually potato bass are super chill they'll actually find divers they like and they'll just kind of hang out with them for a while and i i got to watch this and it's freaking hysterical that's so weird yeah but this particular one was bullying his clients so he was messing with his clients and he was like you know you know johnny i'm i'm not gonna not gonna stand for that so i i looked at potato bass and you know very very intimidating I told it to stop (laughs) and and the potato bass comes over and 
it, and it bites me on the head. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I hit it with the buoy line and I said, that's enough. You're, you're not going to screw with my clients anymore, but it called my bluff, Johnny. And it came back and it attacked me again. And it tried to take the buoy line from me. So I realized I lost this fight and I swam away like a little bitch. <laughs> and that Johnny is how I lost to a potato bass. The fact that he calls you Johnny, I think that's really funny because in my brain, you're such a jack. Down there, most of the time, I will introduce myself as John now just because even though Jack is totally cool, I'm, I'm happy being called Jack. John is more professional and what it, it's what shows up on my paperwork. Mm. So like when they met me, they were like, oh, you're John, right? And I was like, yeah. But down there, the accent in America, I would never like it if somebody called me Johnny. But down there, it just worked. It's the everyone's accent made it sound good. So it was, it was Johnny. It was John O. And then eventually. And then it was steel heel because the girl (laughs) kicked me and broke her toe. Um, and then it was so funny because hey, Caitlin, maybe you would have broken your toe if you had kicked Jack that one time that you were gonna kick him. I saved you, and then there was there was the otter just because of how I would kind of float along in the water, and then anything with a J. The whole Jack John thing confused everyone so much that anything with a J became acceptable, and and Jason was Robbie's favorite. Jason, yeah. Hey, well, you know what they say about J names. J names have a pretty bad reputation, so you gotta, you gotta uphold with all of your, your nicknames. Caitlin, what's your gumption story? Or Lily, do you want to? No, no, Lily. (laughs) No, Lily. No, let Lily be the air traffic control. Give Nate the podcast. This is no longer Lily's podcast. (laughs) Nate. You have such a good voice for podcasting. My voice, when I hear the sound of it, it kind of makes me cringe, but you have a nice, everyone here has a nice voice, but I think we can all agree that there's something about Nate's voice that is special. And I don't know what it is, but you do have a really nice voice. So creamy. It's a creamy voice. Question mark reacts all that shit. My gumption story comes from that time period of my life when we were living together junior year, because I really do think that was the year that I started to explore who I was and be okay with who I was. I just did things because I wanted to do them, so be the person that I wanted to become. And so my gumption story is learning to snowboard. And I talk about this all the time because I loved learning to snowboard and learning to do anything is never easy but at the age of 20 doing something that a lot of people learn when they're much younger takes a lot of gumption in my opinion I could have very easily like just stuck with skiing like I had been skiing since I was 10 11 years old and I love skiing don't get me wrong I still love skiing But I would always go to the mountains and ski and I would see these girls snowboarding and it was way less common seeing guys snowboarding. And I'd be like, she is badass. She is so cool. She's doing things that other people aren't doing. She's just going out into the world and loving it and doing her thing. I want to be like that. And year after year, I would go to the mountain and I would think this exact same thing. I would see this girl snowboarding. She is cool. I want to be her. I have a little girl crush right now. And eventually I was just like, wake up. You can learn to snowboard. If that's what you want to be, if that's what you want to do, then do it. What is stopping you? And so I went and I did it. I will not lie. It was 
painful and uncomfortable. I got a lot of bruises on my butt, a lot of bruises. And I think from that, I really put into action this saying that I'd always loved, which was lean into discomfort. Being uncomfortable is okay. A lot of people, I think, get stuck in their ways of like just doing things that are comfortable. Even if they don't love it, it's comfortable. So they just keep doing it. But I think the best thing for me ever in my life since that point was like leaning into discomfort and doing things that I've always wanted to do in spite of the fact that it was uncomfortable and awkward and maybe a little weird at first. College is a very transitional time. And I think it's a time that a lot of people find themselves, but people can be timid about trying new things and learning new things. But I think college is the perfect time to do that. And if you're willing to do that, you're really going to find a place where you're like happy with who you are and what you're doing. And I don't know if I could have picked my life up and moved across the country if I didn't learn to snowboard because it showed me that if I put my mind to something, I can do it. And if I want to do it, I can basically. That is wonderful. And having snowboarded with you, you're really good for someone who just learned. And I also just learned to ski. So I feel like everyone seems astronomically better than me on the slopes. But I love that you correlated that to becoming who you want to be. Because for me, I always have a lot of dreams and goals and things that I'm trying to achieve or projects that I want to work on. But sometimes the actual setting aside the time to do them and to jump into them when you're doing work or school or friendships, relationships, all the things that you do in day-to-day life, I think it's hard to make the jump from an idea to reality. And I think like snowboarding is such a great example because you have to fall on your ass probably a couple of times to actually learn how to do it. But then once you know, you're just cruising. I define myself so many times by the things that I do or the skills that I have, I guess, like art, for example, I'm like, oh, I'm an artist. But how would we define ourselves if we just thought anything was possible? I don't define myself as something that I don't already partake in, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't pick up and learn it. Your story is a great example of that. And hopefully it inspires some people to just do the damn thing, you know, get the oven mitt, learn the (laughs) snowboard. No, seriously, get the damn oven mitt, make your chicken nuggets and do the thing. Just do it. If you want chicken nuggets, just go for it. I don't know why, Lily, all your conversations come back to chicken nuggets. They really do. <laughs> Maybe this says something about me as a person. I don't know. Our group chat has brought me so much joy in the yes. co- in the last few months since graduation. When something happens to me that's funny or even remotely notable, besides my mom or Murphy, the immediate people that I... T- I'm actually, honestly, even before, I'm texting uh Caitlin and Nate and Jack you sent some of it in the moment was a very Nate-esque thing to do so I saw that and I was someone's trying to cover it live at the scene I like it no I I really like leave it leave it to me to just spew out a fire hose of just wasted data you know whenever there's something going on I might have died if I couldn't have FaceTimed you when I was like lit in Malta that one night and I had to sit outside and eat my burger with you I needed that badly I needed to just talk to someone little concern for your safety only because you kept telling me about how people get robbed and stabbed and shit oh, yeah. in the streets there and I was like you're just sitting on a stoop outside of a bar um, oh I was I was but you made it you live to tell the tale so yep. Nate we can we can trade some stories about that oh yeah oh, we, we're gonna be trading yeah <laughs> yeah let's let's save those stories for after we're off the air <laughs> This has been the second episode of Gumption the Podcast. 
Thank you guys so much for joining me. I love you guys, and you better go with gumption. <laughs> See ya.